Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and affect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Andrew Womack. Hello and welcome to our Wednesday Truth and Liberty Live call-in show. I'm Andrew Womack and my guest today is Bill Federer. And I tell you, Bill Federer is on the board here of Truth and Liberty. He's a big part of what we're doing and he has a great ministry. I'll give him a better introduction here in just a few minutes, but uh, you'll really be blessed. Bill Federer is a treasure. Uh, his knowledge of world history, American history is just phenomenal. And so we're going to be sharing some things that I guarantee you will help and put things into perspective. Let me real quickly just mention that this coming week, not this week, but a week from Friday and Saturday, we're going to have Flashpoint from the Victory Channel. Uh, Gene Bailey and all of his people are coming here and he'll be speaking. I'll be speaking. Lance Wall now, uh, Kylie Jean Tannehill, Mike Lindell, Hank Kuhneman, Luke Ball, Rick Green are all going to be here. It's, I'm looking forward to this. It's really going to be good. And we'll pack the thing out. And so I think it's also going to be live streamed. You can check that out. Also, the next week on February the 15th through the 17th, I'm going to be in Riverside, California. I've been there before, a couple of times before, and we've had some good results. But I hadn't been to California in a while. So I'd really encourage you, if at all possible, to join us at Riverside, California. That's February the 15th through the 17th, and we're going to be at the Riverside Convention Center. And uh, this, this year, 24, is uh, going to be my last year to travel and hold these uh, conferences. We've got so much happening here in the ministry. We're starting a satellite network, and I'm starting two or three more live programs per day, and it's just going to prohibit me from traveling. And so anyway, this will be probably my last time to hold a conference. Now, I may still travel to a church or do something like that, but I'd encourage any of you in the uh, California area that could come and be with us. It'll be good. So that's the 15th through the 17th. I'd also like to encourage you to check out our website. If you aren't familiar with that, we have a 24-hour-a-day news feed where our staff goes out and gathers news from all of the different sources and puts them in one place. We have, I think, close to 100 links to other websites where you can go and get information about voting, voting records, who to vote for. You can register to vote. Uh, you can connect with a lot of different ministries. Bill Federer's ministry, you can connect with them. And we also have the American Minute, which is something that I watch uh, or, or read on a daily basis. That's on our website. And so anyway, there's a lot of things there. Check it out. And as you do, we are looking for people to join with us and help us. And the way we do that is we ask for a $5 automatic withdrawal per month or more. And uh, that's what we uh, call a partner. We have about, I think it's either five or seven staff that are totally devoted now to this daily live show, uh, the website. We travel, we hold meetings. We, we met uh, the last election cycle, I think it was with 3,000 pastors in 40 different meetings around the state of Colorado. 
and we are beginning to expand this and just doing a lot of things. So if you'd like to join with us, you could do that for $5 or more per month. Go to truthandliberty.net slash donate and you can sign up for that. So Bill, it's a blessing to have you with us. Uh, man, when did you first start coming to Karis? It was uh, Mark Coward had asked me to teach at the Practical Government School and then uh, Richard Harris, I knew him from when I would speak in Oklahoma City. I still speak in Oklahoma City, but back about 20 years ago. Oh, you knew him before he came to work for me? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, so. Um, and anyway, Bill, uh, we could spend a lot of time. I've got a biography here, and his number of books that he's written are amazing. Some of them, I think you're, uh, one of them has sold over half a million copies. That's pretty impressive. That's, you, a matter of fact, I got an award with Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House, and when he got up to speak, he pointed you out and said he had your book on his desk and he reads it every single day. So that's making quite a big swath that you're making with the truths that God has shown you. You've got a lot of awards, uh, you've run for Congress, and uh, you've been around a long time. From my perspective, you are just an amazing source of history, it's amazing what you uh, you've probably forgotten more about history than I've ever learned. It's awesome. Well, I tell people history is not prophetic, but it is predictive. So past behavior is the best indicator of future performance. And another quote I like is um, Arthur Schlesinger Jr. said, history is to the nation what memory is to the individual. Yeah, I've heard that. And then... Uh, and if a person loses their memory, Alzheimer's, they, they, are, they have to have somebody take care of them. Yeah. That's where we are. So we have like national Alzheimer's. That's right. And one of the things that I thought history-wise would be the border. And borders through history, uh, of course, the, uh, the Bible gave borders when um, he told Moses that you'll go into the promised land and these are your borders. And so God likes borders. Um, but uh, the Roman Empire, uh, it was founded around 527 B.C., and it lasted. But then around the second century A.D., you have China, and it's beginning to build the Great Wall of China. And the Huns could no longer attack into China as easily, so they turned west and would attack a tribe that would be displaced and attack another tribe, which would be displaced and attack another tribe. And it started this domino effect of displacement placed tribes across Central Asia that began to spill across the eastern border of the Roman Empire. And so first they were the uh, Ostro Visigoths and Ostrogoths and the Anglos and Saxons and Jutes and Lombards and Berbers, and, and they would come across slow, and they would assimilate and learn the Latin language, and then uh, they would begin to come faster and faster. And some interesting dynamics, the Romans, when they first started, uh, they would have lots of kids, but as they got more prosperous, they would wait longer to have children and have fewer of them. Sounds like the Western world. And then the, the immigrants coming across, they would start sooner having kids and they'd have more of them. Sounds like the Muslims. <laughs> and so um, Will and Ariel Durant said that uh, nature has a way of punishing the, the more advanced civilizations because the, uh, the less civilized have more kids and will out, out breathe them. And um, so uh, when the uh, weakness was 
telegraphed, they began to come in larger and larger numbers. And then uh, the Romans would have fewer kids. They would even adopt some of the immigrants, some of the Visigoths, and some of them became generals and they, they were all involved. But then you have this situation where you have a Visigothic general whose job is to guard the border to keep out the other Visigothic tribes who are like his relatives. <laughs> it's like, why am I? And, um, uh, but then there was one time when the Rhine River froze and a large group of these Visigoths came across the frozen river and stayed. And the next spring, no Roman army drove them off. And so they decided to stay. And Rome didn't want to arm the people. Only the military was allowed to have weapons because the, the emperor didn't trust the, the common people, didn't want them to have weapons. And so you had a, a very uh, relatively small, very good, but relatively small I mean, the Roman military that was stretched all along these borders. And, um, and so then once they came in in larger numbers, then they began to wage war and they began, began to come and you began to have armies and attack and then eventually Attila the Hun. I know kind of where you're headed, but, but while on your way there, would you make some applications to our situation? I know that some people can, can glean it, but like in Europe, uh, just by birth rates, some of the things you're talking about, the Muslims are going to be the dominant force in Europe within a short period of time. Disarming people is what the liberals want to do here, and that's going to empower the liberals. There's a lot of applications, what you're saying, to our present situation. Right. So the uh, Europeans have bought into the climate overpopulation, so have fewer kids. Uh, the immigrants have not bought into that. Mm -hmm. And so they're coming over, having lots of kids. And an interesting dynamic in the Islamist world that it's a social stigma for a woman to have less than five children. And then in um, the fundamental Muslim world, a man can have four wives. Mm. And then you mix that together with a socialist Europe where you have a woman that can go down to the welfare office and say, my husband's not around, and they get a check. And so this guy, and it's, it's, there's an attitude that it's okay to lie to the infidels if it helps advance Islam. It's called taqiyya, sacred lying, holy deceit. And it's so cultural, it's almost like if you were to go into a third world market and you see a price tag, and you know, a naive uh, tourist will pay the sticker price, yeah. right? And they'll, they'll think you're a fool um, where they've actually inflated it. And so they don't have a problem with lying to the tourist customer. And with that attitude, they come into these Western countries. The guy will put one of his wives in a different house or of a apartment. They go down to the welfare office and get checks. And the more kids they have, the larger the checks get. And he just takes his turn visiting all these wives, having all these kids, and it's all done at state expense. And um, to a degree, we have that in the U.S. The where now the welfare pays single mothers. Yeah. And they actually can make more money being single and getting welfare than they can being married. I talked to a, a gentleman from Detroit and he talked about how there were certain Muslims that were coming in and they were having uh, lots of kids and lots of wives and, and they were going down to the welfare office and signing up. And he says all the kids playing in the street are from different mothers, but they're from the same father. And um, so Ajim Kadori, who had Islam for UK, 
the United Kingdom, uh, he was being interviewed and the interviewer said, don't you feel bad that you're making the uh, people in England pay for you to have all these? And he said, no, uh, Allah allows us to live off the infidel while we are subduing them. So it's almost like a little bit of a parasitic attitude that it lives off the host victim until it sucks the life out of the host victim. And uh, so so the, the the borders, when the Roman borders began to be weakened, instead of it reaching an equilibrium, it was like a, a dam or a dike and the water comes through slowly and slowly until finally it breaks. And then you have these floods of immigrants and finally Attila the Hun in 450 AD, he had an army of a half a million men. And he's literally wiping out cities after city, Mainz and Reims and Cologne. And um, we're all familiar with um, uh, Venice, with the gondolas, right? Um, on the coast, there was a city called Aeolia, and it was like the ninth biggest city in Europe. And Attila decides he's going to destroy it. He builds a, passel, a palace so he can watch his men burning it all. The people run out into the shallow, swampy, ocean areas and hammer logs down and live off the platform and go from one to the other on boats with sticks and that turns into Venice, hmm. right? And so, and then as he's coming toward Paris around 453 AD, uh, a woman named St. Genevieve, uh, or Genevieve, but um, she uh, gets all of Paris to fast and pray. And for some reason, Attila skips sacking Paris. So she's considered the patron saint of Paris. That's why they call her St. Genevieve. Hmm. Um, uh, Attila was gonna invade Rome uh, in the 450s, but uh, the Pope uh, came out and talked him out of it. And there's this artwork of the Pope with angels above him, you know, scaring away Attila, but it only bought Rome 20 years. And finally the Visigoths came in and they sacked Rome. And you see the paintings of it. The Romans were into their sensuality and their, um, you know, partying and their lust and everything. And these barbarians come in with their swords and they're, you know, they're just dripping for, for um, conquering. And um, so, so weakness invites aggression. It's the law of the jungle. Nat uh, nature does not permit a vacuum. So where there's a weakness, it will attract aggression. Uh, if you were to see a nature film and you have a, a lion, lion chasing a pack of zebras and as long as the zebras are healthy and run away, they're fine. But if there's a weak zebra, Guess which one the lion's gonna attack? When there's a weakness, it invites aggression. They say sharks in the water. Uh, if there's sharks around, so stay calm. Because if you're nervous, it senses that, that splashing like an injured animal, and they're attracted to attack the weakened, injured animal. And so when a nation shows itself weak, it is inviting aggression. Um, so I wanted to mention something about the, the Roman Empire, because it was the biggest empire in the world but it became, uh, inside, they had enormous debt. Um, as long as uh, they were expanding, they were living off a of conquered people, but Hadrian built the Great Wall of China. And we know Hadrian because in 135 AD, he squashed the Bar Kokhba revolt in Israel. Uh, now, question here. Hadrian built Hadrian's Wall in UK, right? Correct. Not the Great Wall of China. Correct. Okay, well, you said the Great Wall of China. Well, it threw me off, and I don't want to question you. You're the authority, but you you did good. All right, you did good. And also, you're saying that there's lots of things that were involved in the Romans that made them weak. But the kind of the beginning of it was the borders when they compromised their borders that allowed all of these people to come in, yeah. similar to what we're doing. 
Yes, so the, the Romans were weakened on the inside morally, and then they were overrun on the outside. And uh, so thank you. Hadrian's Wall okay. was what Hadrian I've built. I've been to Hadrian's Wall over there. And, uh, and he said, this far, no further. And they stopped living off a conquered people. They had to live within their means, and they didn't, and so they got in debt. Uh, but uh, Hadrian was also the one that had the Bar Kokhba revolt, and he killed uh, millions of Jews. And put a, a temple to Jupiter on top of the Temple Mount and chased on every descendant of David and killed him and destroyed every copy of the law that he could find. And so uh, Hadrian was the one who was so mad at the Jews that he changed the map from Judea to Syria, Palestina. Oh, and really? that's where you get the word Palestine, right? And um, anyway, so, so borders. I wanted to mention the Roman border, um, but then let's go to our border. Um, Prior to 1965, most immigrants came from Europe, Germany, Ireland, England, uh, and they had a ethic that uh, it was considered a social stigma to receive a handout from the government. And then Lyndon Johnson in 1965 changed the immigration um, quotas to bring in more from third world countries because they did not have a social stigma about receiving a handout. And once they began receiving government welfare, there's a very strong desire to keep it coming. And I tell people, imagine if you were getting a check in the mail every week uh, for $1,000 from someone you didn't know. $1,000, $1,000, week after week, month after year after year. Would you wake up one day and ask yourself, who, who is sending me this $1,000 check every week? I'm going to find out who they are and vote them out of office. <laughs> Would anybody do that? You'd be like, my kid's got a couple more bills to pay. Once you get people to receive free money, you can count on their vote. And so Lyndon Johnson, with his Great Society Welfare State, intentionally wanted to open the borders, bring people in, sign them up for welfare so it would grow the Democrat Party voter base. So you're saying that Johnson wasn't really out to help the poor. He was out to, it was a power play to bring in people who would keep voting for the Democrats. Right. And he did the same thing um, racially. So uh, Republican Lincoln freed the slaves. Republican Ulysses S. Grant send the, formed the Department of Justice and sent the troops south to stop the Democrats who had formed the KKK mm. and all these vigilante groups. Um, Republican Teddy Roosevelt was the first president to have a black man in the White House for dinner, Booker T. Washington. Mm -hmm. uh, Democrat Woodrow Wilson segregates the military, segregates the federal offices and shows a KKK film in the White House. Yeah. Republican Eisenhower integrates the military again. And then you had Democrat George Wallace, governor of Alabama, saying segregation now, segregation forever, standing in front. And then uh, you had uh, the Republicans pushing through civil rights bills. So Lyndon Johnson said, you know what, this doesn't look good for our party now that there's a thing called television. And they can see us hosing blacks down the streets and sticking dogs on them. And so Lyndon Johnson changed from intimidation to entitlement. So in, instead of um, doing all the vigilante type stuff, it was let's get as many of the minorities to sign up for welfare as possible and you can count on their vote. And, and so you're saying that um, prior to Johnson that basically all blacks were Republican because the Republicans were the ones that set them free. And so Johnson, in a sense, bought them through his great society. Yeah. Right? Because today you'll find, I don't know, nine out of ten blacks are Democrats. Yeah, yeah. So he kind of uh, enslaved them through his great society. Yeah, I spoke last week uh, at an event with C.L. Bryant, and he did a video series called Runaway Slave. Um, 
and then a friend of mine's Mason Weaver, and he wrote a, a, a similar book, you know, uh, Off the Plantation, and then there's Star Parker, and, and many of these black writers have been saying, look, um, it, we got away from the plantation, but now they're uh, wanting to put us back into dependency, and let's, we don't want that. So, so Booker T. Washington, uh, he uh, formed the Negro Business League 10 years before the U.S. Chamber of Commerce was started. And he said, the best way to rise is to become financially successful. He said, we have to follow the same wave, uh, same path of every wave of immigrants. So you'd have the Jews and the Germans and the Irish and the Italians would come to America and they'd be at the bottom of the social ladder. They'd pool their money, they'd work hard, they'd become successful, send their kids to college, and they end up owning the businesses, and then they'd rise in respect. And he says, we have to follow this path. And they were, they were following it. They had a black Wall Street, they had all this, but then you had the Democrats with their vigilante groups and then the, with the KKK. Um, so Ulysses S. Grant in 1871 passed the uh, Ku Klux Klan Act, to, and they have 13,000 pages of testimony of the blacks doing these lynchings down in the South. The blacks doing the lynchings? I mean, the, the, the blacks being lynched. Uh -huh. And um, uh, so Tuskegee Institute did a, uh, a study. There's over 4,400 documented lynchings, and about 1,200 of those are, are white Republicans mm -hmm. that were down in the South registering the free blacks to vote. And um, so Lyndon Johnson changed from intimidation to entitlement when it came to the welfare state. Lyndon Johnson changed uh, immigration quotas uh, with Teddy Kennedy intentionally to bring him in to build a voter base. And um, you know, before we leave this, let me, I probably got this from you because I read your American Minute every day. But just in the last week or two, I was reading about Booker T. Washington and he was talking about his Tuskegee Institute, and he, he I, you probably know, all, I think I got it from you, but he said that anybody can get a job, but it takes a special person to create a job. And he taught the blacks that were in the Tuskegee Institute to become entrepreneurs and start businesses. And if I'm not mistaken, he was producing like, I don't know, many times more entrepreneurs than Harvard was mm. back in the 1800s. And it was because of this ethic that you're talking about. Instead of being welfare, he was telling his people, you go out and make a difference, create jobs. Yeah, yeah. And, and did I get that from you? Is you, that you? I, I did put that out in an All American right. Minute. And yeah. I do want to mention, I got up at 3.30 this morning to catch an airplane. So I appreciate you keeping me on track. Um, <laughs> you're you're a, a fact checker there with me. So I appreciate that. Um, the uh, Lin, uh, Booker T. Washington said the best way to lift yourself up is to lift up somebody else. Yeah. He says, I don't want us to be tolerated. I want us to be needed, that people would want us. And he would tell the Tuskegee graduates, he says, you go out there and make yourself useful so that this, the community wants you. And, uh, but his big uh, uh, opponent was W.E.B. Du Bois, who was an elitist who went to Harvard. And he criticized Booker T. And he said, we demand reparations. And he went over to uh, Germany and praised their socialism. He went over to the Soviet Union four times and praised Stalin. And then he went over and met with Mao Zedong. And W.E.B. Du Bois eventually joined the U.S. Communist Party. And then he repudiated, repudiated American citizenship and went over to Ghana where he died. But it was W.E.B. Du Bois teachings that infiltrated academia and this demanding reparations 
versus the uh, work hard and help other people and get ahead. And so the liberals today are again pushing for reparations, give me something, you owe me something, instead of earning people's respect and lifting themselves up. That's what Booker T taught. I tell you, the, I think Booker T and George Washington Carver and a lot of the black leaders of the 1800 would be appalled to see the way that the average black today has developed a mentality that everybody owes me something and they're looking for people to just give it to them instead of earning it. It's interesting, um, Booker T was older than W.E.B. Du Bois, but they did overlap and Booker T said there are some race problem solvers that don't want the patient to get well. Mm -hmm. As long as the disease holds out, they find an easy way of making a living by advertising the grievances. And um, so uh, the attitude of uh, help people to become successful and then rather than nurturing a dependence on a government. Um, so, so we have the borders with uh, the Roman Empire and then we have our borders and um, and so they've been porous. There is uh, the World Economic Forum and the globalists and on their maps, they have the world divided into the 10 regions. And they, you know, that does line up with scripture, right? With the 10 kings and they each give their, well, guess what? Uh, the uh, Americas is one region. And so on their map, they don't want to have uh, borders. Um, and they, they want to do this in areas around the world. Um, but then one other thing I wanted to bring up is China. So lots of Chinese immigrants are coming across the border. And these are not people that are struggling economically in Latin and South America. Uh, these are young men of military age. Uh, they are healthy and they have money and they are all pulling suitcases. And um, uh, we were watching I think it was Ben Burkwa on uh, either Newsmax or th these different uh, stations, and they had reports from the border. And he said 16,000 young Chinese men are, are, have been documented coming across the border, all pulling suitcases. And, um, and then we see that the government is transporting them with buses and planes to cities all around America. And so a couple of weeks ago, my wife, were driving down a, a city around Fort Myers, Florida, and it's a, it's a busy, busy street, and there's like nothing there. And there's six Chinese young men pulling suitcases, walking down mm -hmm. the, the, the side of the road. And, um, and my wife's like, that's what I just saw. And, and so there's a concern that are people coming in with, with ill motives. And one of the things I look at is the Muslim Brotherhood was started in 1928 by a guy named Albana in Egypt, and he based the Muslim Brotherhood strategy on the two cities Muhammad lived in, Mecca and Medina. So in Mecca, Muhammad was a religious leader. In Medina, Muhammad transitions to being a political and a military leader. So Albana said, okay, Muslim Brotherhood, you infiltrate countries and you act like a Meccan Muslim, just a religious Muslim, and then when the signal's given, you transition to become a political and militant Muslim. And so beginning in 1928, they would infiltrate countries and then when the signal was given, they would do an assassination. They assassinated Abdullah, the king of Jordan. They attempted an assassination on Ataturk, uh, the president of, of the Republic of Turkey. Um, they tried doing it, and then the, the big one was Anwar Sadat, that he made a treaty with Israel in, uh, in the early 1980s, and he was get the Nobel Peace Prize. 
And Billy Graham meets with Anwar Sadat. Pat Robertson gives him an award. And everybody's thinking, finally, the Arabs and the Jews are, are friends. Well, guess what? The Muslim Brotherhood had infiltrated yeah. the Egyptian military. And there's a parade. And the parade stops in front of the bandstands. And the Muslim Brotherhood, who had infiltrated the military, turn and face their machine guns, and they assassinate Anwar Sadat. And so the idea is you, you infiltrate countries sort of as a sleeper cell. And then it, when the signal's given, then you become yeah. violent. We're going to have to break in here and take a little break uh, for just 90 seconds, and we're going to come back. And we would welcome your calls at 719-619-2341. And I tell you, Bill is just a wealth of information, especially historical uh, things. I would really encourage you to take advantage of it. He's got a lot more to say. I know, Bill, he could talk. For, matter of fact, you did teach for two hours straight at one of my meetings and didn't take hardly a breath. And so we can keep going forever and that'll be fine. But if you would like to talk to him at 719-619-2341. So let's take this break and we'll be right back. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we have big plans to make a big impact. If you want to be a part of turning our nation back to God, I want to invite you to become a supporter of Truth and Liberty. You can go on our website at truthandliberty.net to the donate page and make a gift there. And you can also sign up to be uh, make a recurring automatic gift of $5 or more per month, and then you'll become a Truth and Liberty member. And uh, our gifts to Truth and Liberty are not tax deductible, but I promise you, God sees your generosity. So go to Truth Liberty and become a member today. With practical government, you have experts in the fields that are sharing their perspective, wisdom and experience. It's not available anywhere else in the world. We're going to teach a Christian heritage of our American government. They're going to learn about the Founding Fathers. We're teaching the Constitution, how government operates, practical skills and field study. No matter where you're coming from, the world needs you. Whatever God's calling you to do, you're able to do it. To learn more, visit practicalgovernmentschool.com. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. So welcome back to Truth and Liberty Live call-in show. I'm Andrew Womack. I've got Bill Federer with me, and we've been talking about borders, and he's gone all the way back to the Roman Empire and talked about how that their lack of controlling their borders was one of the ways that the Roman Empire was eventually overrun. He's made comparisons with the way things are being done today, and it's really good. And ben, Bill can talk for a long time, so... It'll be great to have him just continue to share, but if you would like to be a part of this, we've opened up our phones at 719-619-2341, and we have open lines right now, so you're welcome to call, and we'd be glad to take your questions. I tell you, Bill's a great wealth of in, uh, information, especially to put things into historical con context so that we can properly evaluate what happens. 719-619-2341. All right, so you were talking about, right before the break, about the assassination of Anwar Sadat and the Muslim Brotherhood. What's the application of all that to us? So a lot of the immigrants coming across the border could be just wanting economic opportunity. Uh, there are 
over 160 different nations that are coming across. Uh, some of them are ones that don't like America. Uh, some Somalia, uh, there's actually travel agencies that like advertise in, in Africa to bring people from Africa over to Istanbul, Turkey, then they get on a plane and they go to Mexico and then the cartel brings them uh, all the way up to the border and brings them across. I mean, the whole world knows this. I've heard some people that are down there on the border saying that the borders are completely controlled by cartel, that they're the ones that determine who gets in and they're making billions of dollars off of that. Is that your impression? Yes, yes. And then, uh, unfortunately, they separate the children from the parents and they have like children's uh, refugee camps. But what's going to happen to those kids? And then a, a disturbing feature is uh, charities. So Catholic charities, Lutheran charities, different ones. And they help to relocate these immigrants and they get paid per person for everyone that comes across and they uh, bring them into the communities and sign them up for the welfare in the communities and the community has to bear the brunt of this and uh, the fine print says that they can't evangelize them they can't try to proselytize them so they're bringing them in with no attempt to to bring the gospel to them and um, you know a, a few here or there is would be um, you know I ask people uh, how much food do you eat in a year? What if I were to sit you down and make you eat, eat that in a day? You'd die. You only eat food as fast as you can assimilate it. So you only bring in people into the body politic as fast as they can be assimilated. That's a good comparison. Very good. And so you, you bring them in, you let them learn the language, you let them be, learn the culture and everything. But when you bring them in so fast, like the Visigoths, when they came into Rome, they keep their own culture, they keep their own language, their own identity. And then if you're bringing in an element that has a, a parasitic view where we want to live off this host victim and then eventually conquer it. And, um, and so with, with China, it's interesting. Uh, their model throughout history in the recent history is to take money and go to leaders of different countries and bribe them. A uh, long time ago, before the Panama Canal was given away, I had the chance to go through the canal zone and, and I knew some of the people that ran it. And, but Howard Phillips, he was one of the leaders of the conservative movement and um, was always at the meetings in DC. Uh, he was champion in the effort to work with Reagan to not give away the Panama Canal. But Jimmy Carter and a lot of the globalists uh, give it away. And he said the fine print was that American banks had lent money to the Panamanian government that they could not pay back. And so uh, once we gave away the canal zone, the U.S. would subsidize the canal zone with this money. Then the money would be used to pay back the banks. And he said the money doesn't even leave America. It goes straight from the U.S. government to the bank. Doesn't even make it to Panama. And, um, and so you see this in a lot of these situations where we're giving billions of dollars uh, for climate change or aid to Ukraine or billions of dollars. It's unaccounted for. And so what, what the connect the dots, the corrupt leader of the country gets to keep a portion of it. And then the rest of the money is unaccounted for. It gets funneled back to politicians in America or in, in the Ukraine's instance, when we gave him uh, billions of dollars, he gave it to, 
to BlackRock to manage it for them. And BlackRock is one that tells people that if you don't have DEI in your corporation, they won't loan to you anymore, and they're pushing the woke agenda. Yes, yeah, and so it's um, so with 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 China, uh, when we were giving away the Canal Zone, they uh, the U.S. made a bid. U.S. companies made a bid to run the Canal Zone. I mean, since 1904, we've been running it. Uh, some Dutch companies gave bids. Well, China gave some bids, but they bribed all the politicians under the table, so they won it. And so China got control of the canal zone. But it's not just the can canal zone. They've been doing this all around the world, uh, in the Bahamas, in the Dardanelles, and but then countries in Africa where they'll come in and they'll say, we'll mine, um, if you let us mine your country, we'll build highways, we'll build infrastructure, but we'll get control of the assets. And so the China Silk Road Initiative where they're wanting to build a highway from China all the way over uh, to you know Europe, and uh, a lot of people wonder if that's going to be where 200 million Chinese are going to march across. Uh, but they'll they'll go to little country after little country after little country, and they'll they'll play this game. They'll basically bribe the politicians. You know, when you hear these things, we talk about how bad things are in America, but when you hear all of this, it's been going on for a long time. It's really a miracle. It's the blessing of the Lord that we still exist. <laughs> They've been out to destroy us for a long time. We'd love to have you call 719-619-2341. We have a lot of open lines. And uh, Gladys, you're with us from Georgia. I know you. I got to meet you and I was in Georgia. So welcome to Truth and Liberty with Bill and Andrew. <laughs> Hello, brother. Andrew, how are you? I'm blessed. How about you, Gladys? I am blessed and highly favored. I please God. Amen. How are you, brother Bill? Good, thank you. All right. So, Brother Bill, I wanted to ask you, uh, you said something about all these Chinese people with their suitcases, suitcases coming across the border. What is your take as, as to the reason why they are coming over here, please? I, I think it is um, different scenarios go through my mind. And I'm just speculating, but I, I wrote a book on the history of socialism, and I studied through the Cold War how you, there would be countries that would be pro-West, and the KGB would want to go in, and uh, they do what's called critical theory. They uh, study the country and identify all the groups, ethnically, um, Bosnian, Croat, Serbs, religiously, Sunni, Shia, Orthodox, racially, economically, and they would call some victims and others oppressors, haves and have-nots, and then they would begin to rub the tension, orchestrate protests and riots, and then they would co-opt the media to blame the leader of the country for all the problems. And when the people began to believe the media and the leader fell in popularity, they would do a coup or a rigged election and replace the leader with a Soviet puppet. So country after country after country would fall. The CIA sort of did this in reverse to try to keep countries that were in the Soviet orbit come back into our orbit. Um, but it's, it's quite an interesting uh, study of how this works. Uh, so you need to have a crisis in a country that will allow people to beg the government to come in and restore order, but in the process, they're losing their freedom. They'll actually give up liberties in order for security. Right. So, so this is just my speculation, but what if there were a lot of uh, people coming in that were like sleeper cells, that were in communities all across America? and maybe we're getting close to an election, and maybe uh, a signal is given for not just 
what we saw with the George Floyd riots and not just uh, what they did with downtown Seattle and downtown Portland where they would like take over cities, but what if there was actually fighting and, and actually killing in cities across America? What's the response gonna be? Government, send in your army now. Well, the army's been wokeized. The army has been more or less purged of, of people with traditional uh, values, patriotic. And, and so uh, there would be an excuse for a woke or army to come into every single city in America. And at first, everybody would be, oh, thank you for restoring order. And then guess what? Once they come, they stay. And, you know, even though I agree with you 100% that I believe there are sleeper cells and people coming in with intent to do this country damage, even if they came just for their own personal benefit, they're bringing with them their socialism that they were raised under, that mindset, and it undermines our uh, Republican government that we have. So even if the people don't have malicious intent, it's doing damage, it's diluting our republic by bringing in people that don't have our values. Yeah, so, so you have what I just described of a potential a violent aspect to those coming across the border. If we just look at it as your normal corruption, um, when they come across, uh, they will be counted in the census mm -hmm. and the congressmen are divided around the country based on the census. And so if you have, let's say California and lots of these people come in, even if they're not citizens, they are counted and then California will be able to get more congressmen. The next step is, the number of congressmen each state gets plus the two senators equals the amount of electoral votes that the state gets. And the electoral votes is what elects the president. And so if you, you bring them in, you get more sway to these states that are bringing in the illegals. They'll have more population, they'll have more congressmen, they'll have more electoral votes, and they'll be able to decide the next election. And um, so uh, that is, just your normal, and then there's already states that are saying, let's let these immigrants come in and vote. And they're yeah, getting driver's know, licenses and... I agree 100% with what you're saying. I support Governor Abbott of uh, Texas for taking these uh, immigrants and spreading them to these sanctuary cities because they're the ones that basically asked for it. So I can understand what he's doing. Texas shouldn't bear the brunt of all of this welfare and all of the stuff it's taking. But at the same time, this is facilitating what you're talking about. They're taking these immigrants and just putting them all over the U.S. And so it may be solving one problem and so, so, um, causing another. So ultimately, we have to get hold of this border. Yeah, it's interesting. The um, uh, So Trump ran for office promising to secure the border, and um, Paul Ryan promised him that he would include it in the funding, but then when the funding came to his desk, it wasn't in there. And Paul Ryan said to Trump, well, we'll get it done, we'll get it done. We'll get it. it never got done. Yep. And then of course, Paul Ryan goes on to become on the board of Fox News and then Fox turns against Trump. Um, but um, when Trump was able to do some executive orders to get portions of the wall built. And so when Biden got in, he gave an executive order to stop that. Yep. And so instead of saying there's a problem, we need to push more legislation, all we need to do is to have Biden reverse some of his own executive orders yeah. and let it go back to the way it was under Trump. Yeah, well, we need to talk about that, but we do have open lines, 719-619-2341, and I'd encourage you to call. 
So let me just uh, expand on this some. Why is it that the Biden administration is so hesitant to secure the border? Do you think that there's still the same motivation that uh, Johnson had in opening up the borders? Or what, what are they gaining politically by doing that? Um, votes and then more congressmen and then more electoral so votes you're saying the that president. these immig illegal immigrants are voting that that's the the next step and so already in new york and some of these states they're saying well let's let them vote in local elections and then many states it's motor voter so when you get to sign up for your driver's license you're automatically signed up to vote they're not asking them are you a citizen and so they get a voter card in the mail automatically because they got their driver's license in the mail. And then they can go and then at many of these states, they don't ask people when you're coming to vote and you got your voter card if you're an American citizen. And so we have a system that has so many loopholes that it's easy for people that are not citizens to vote. And um, now uh, I do want to uh, point out uh, a scripture and that's Deuteronomy 28, and it's the blessings and the curses. And so it says, if a nation hearkens to the voice of the Lord, they'll be above and not beneath, heading out the tail, blessed coming in, blessed coming out. If a nation does not hearken to the voice of the Lord, the diseases of Egypt will come upon them. They'll be a debtor. And then it says, the stranger will come in amongst them and rise up above them, and they will be the head and you will be the tail. They'll be above and you'll be beneath. So one of God's ways of judging a nation is to allow strangers to come in and rise up above the inhabitants. And let's, let's look at Israel. So uh, when it's almost like a, a, a clock. So the Israel made a covenant with God and, they, and then they were in the promised land and they were blessed. And then they began to backslide and worship the gods of the other nations. And then God sent prophets to tell them to repent and they didn't. Then God sent judgment. It literally says God sent judgment. And in comes the Philistines, the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Moabites, the termites, the mosquito bites, the parasites, <laughs> all the ites. They come in and what do they do? They bring judgment. And then the people repent, cry out to God. God in his mercy sends a deliverer. They're delivered and they renew their covenant with God. And for about 40 years, it's okay. But then they begin to backslide and worship the gods of the other countries. Then God sends prophets to tell them to repent. They don't repent. God sends judgment, uh, lets, them, lets the stranger come in, uh, breaks down the walls around the garden. And Isaiah, it says, that, you know, Israel is my garden and, and I built a wall around it. And I went to look for grapes and lo, I found wild grapes. And what shall I do betwixt me and my garden? And I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tear it on the wall. I'll let it come in and get trampled. And um, that's it, the first message I ever preached out of Isaiah chapter five. Wow! In the Baptist church, I preached that. I will say this: uh, you may disagree with this, and that's okay. It's not a problem. But in the old covenant, I do I, the scriptures he's quoting. It's exactly the way it was, and he'll he did it as judgment. But under the new covenant, I believe our judgment was placed on Jesus. It's not God that's bringing in all of this ungodliness and causing the border to open, but it's our rejection of God and these truths that Bill's talking about that we've thrown the door open and Satan has taken advantage of it. So regardless of whether it's a result of our own choices or if it's God's judgment, I do believe that all of this immigration is uh, destroying America and we've got to get hold of it or it's going to destroy us. What do you think about the sending all of these migrants all over the nation. What would your opinion be on that? Yeah, well, I've been up to um, uh, Minnesota and some of these northern Minnesota towns and 
you know, Keith Ellison is a Muslim and he's one of the leaders in the state. They've basically brought in so many of them that they've taken over the town. Mm -hmm. And you drive through the main street of the town and you see women with their burqas and men sort of hanging out, smoking cigarettes, and you would think you're in an, another country. Yeah. And the, the locals don't feel like it's their town anymore. And if they see anything, all the woke liberals say, well, you're a hateful person because you're not embracing this. And then they would put the kids in the public schools and they would say, um, you know, you Christians can do separation of church and state, we can't. And if we're coming to the schools, we're bringing our religion with us. And we have to have our prayer room, we have to have our calls to prayer five times a day. And if you don't accommodate us, you're hateful. And they even went so far as to say, you need to unlearn everything you've learned. You've been uh, intolerant and hateful and you didn't even know it. Just by having Saturday and Sunday off rather than the Muslim day of Friday, you're hateful to us. Just by having Easter and Christmas off, you're hateful to us Muslims because we don't do that. And, uh, and anything that's not Muslim is hateful to Muslims. And uh, now there are nice ones and they're happy to be over here, but there are the fundamental ones that are coming in. And they're uh, wanting to, they consider uh, a democracy as man-made law, and they consider the Quran as God-made law. Mm -hmm. And so they think that a democratic form of government, um, especially ones where there's women voting, that that's against uh, fundamental Islam. And uh, so the majority of Muslims, I would say, are peaceful and they just want to live their lives and they're happy to have uh, other people as friends. Um, but the fundamental ones are the ones, and that, that's why it's, it's concerning. The, the, one of the most violent countries for Christians is Somalia. Uh, Voice of the Martyr says if, uh, if somebody becomes a Christian in Somalia, they're lucky if they live out the day. Mm. And so now we've brought lots of these Somalians into Minnesota, and that's where you get these different congresswomen, Ilan Omar, and she calls the president of Somalia her president, right? Um, and so we... Um, you know, I've got a friend over in England. He now has gone to be with the Lord, but I've been to his church many times in Jewsbury, England, and they actually have so many Muslims that they have imposed Sharia law in sections of that town, and the government, UK government, allows them to do it. And I mean, there is terrible things happening. They led one person to the Lord and they hid him because the uh, Muslims were gonna kill him for converting to Christianity. And then the police came to him and said that this man who got born again, his sister is dying, that they had to notify him, would he carry the message? And anyway, he carried the message they took the man who was supposed to go back to his sister and nobody has ever seen him. That's been 10 or 15 years ago. They martyred him and they even had the police in cahoots with them. Yeah. And before, uh, you know, we still got open lines, 719-619-2341. We'd love to have you call. But when we were eating lunch today, I was asking you about when you moved to Florida and you were telling me that you had so many Muslims move in and you've been outspoken on these things and there's Muslims that hate you that your wife didn't feel comfortable living among all of them because if they found out, uh, so anyway, that was part of your decide, decision to move to Florida and it's, it's not something that's overseas. This is happening right here and we're being infiltrated. Right, and, and I do want to emphasize that the majority of Muslims are peaceful and friendly and they just want to live and enjoy the freedoms, but there is 
it, it, it is not an individual relationship with Allah religion. Matter of fact, in Islam, it's blasphemy to even want to have an individual relationship with Allah. Allah is unknowable. Uh, even in the next life, you'll never meet him. He's forever unknowable. And so the, the local imam for these fundamental Muslims is the go-between. He tells you what's halal and haram, what's permitted and what's not permitted. And, um, the, uh, uh, and you can't ask, why is this halal? Why is this haram? And Because you might be doubting and then they, you get in trouble. So, um, so some areas, the imams are tolerant. And so the people in that area are tolerant, but it's sort of a peer pressure religion. And, and the local imam sets what's acceptable and what's not and can move them in one direction or the other. So all he's got to do is just be activated by the Muslim Brotherhood or something, and man, he would influence all of those people under him. They would follow his lead. Yeah, so it's, um, uh, but the, the ones in the middle. So after World War I, you had um, Ataturk in Turkey. And he wanted to secularize his country. He got rid of the fezes and the burqas and the, got rid of the Arabic language. He says, Mohammedism is Arab politics. And he says, the Turks were a great people before uh, the Arabs came in. And, um, uh, and so he dressed in business suits and he taught um, Western concepts uh, in, his, in his country. And he's the first one to educate women. And so he was friends with the king of Afghanistan. And guess what? He's doing reforms and giving women education and allowing them to have rights. Um, and then he influences the, uh, the Shah of Iran. And he brings these reforms into Iran. And they're, they're wanting to become more westernized and more freedoms. And then they, you see pictures of beauty pageants in Syria in the 1960s. And, and Egypt, Kamal Nasser, he said, I met with the head of the Muslim Brotherhood. And he, he wanted me to put a burqa on every woman in Egypt. He says, you can't even put a burqa on your own daughters that's going to medical school. And, and, and so... They were moving in a Western direction until the Muslim Brotherhood came along in 1928, and they would infiltrate these countries and do assassination attempts. And so these Muslim leaders were like, we want to be more Western and more secular and enjoy the, you know, all the advantages, but we don't want to get assassinated, so we're trying to walk this fine line. Yeah, and then the Arab Spring came along that reversed a lot of stuff. Let's go to Frank. Uh, we've only got a few minutes, Frank, but you're on with Bill and Andrew. You're from Missouri, and you're on. Uh, do you have a question for us? Yes, sir. Uh, I just lost my telephone. Anyways, I'm going to ask, you know, how do you deal with... Hello? We're listening. Yes, it's, it's a blessing. Yeah, I have a son that's uh, married to a Chinese doctor. And they're Buddhist to the bone. My son, growing up, he could quote scriptures like nobody's business. But now it's like, it's just different. I just want to know how to deal with them. So how do you deal with unbelievers that are coming with a totally different mindset, don't even have any of the same reference points that Christians do? How do you deal with that, Bill? Um, you know, number one, pray for them. And number two, ask the Lord to give opportunities to share the gospel and, and to plant seeds. And uh, it is something that a lot of parents that send their kids to uh, colleges have to deal with. It's like, I raised this child and now they went to the college and now they're come back home and they're, they're woke or they're this and that. Yeah, it is a, um, uh, a struggle that lots of parents go through. You know, let me say this, that I gained a lot of insight from Jesus dealing with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. 
AND, YOU KNOW, FIRST OF ALL, HE MINISTERED IN THE GIFTS OF THE SPIRIT. SO IT WASN'T JUST HIM ARGUING HER INTO CONVERSION. HE DISPLAYED THE SUPERNATURAL POWER OF GOD. AND I THINK THAT TO BE AN EFFECTIVE WITNESS, WE NEED TO DISPLAY THE ANOINTING, THE POWER OF GOD THROUGH OUR JOY, THROUGH OUR LIFE, uh, THROUGH GIFTS OF THE SPIRIT AND THINGS LIKE THIS. AND THEN AS SHE CAME UNDER CONVICTION, SHE WANTED TO GET HIM OFF TRACK AND DISCUSS WHETHER WE WORSHIP IN JERUSALEM OR WHETHER WE WORSHIP IN SAMARIA. AND JESUS JUST BROUGHT HER RIGHT BACK. IT DOESN'T MATTER. THE TIME IS COMING THAT YOU HAVE TO WORSHIP HIM IN SPIRIT AND IN TRUTH. AND I THINK THAT MANY TIMES WE GET OFF ON THESE TRACKS TRYING TO DEAL WITH THE BUDDHISTS, DEAL WITH THE uh, MUSLIMS AND ANSWER ALL OF THEIR QUESTIONS. BUT, YOU KNOW, IT'S JUST AS SIMPLE, REALLY, AS SAYING, LOOK, I HAVE A PERSONAL RELATIONSHIP. BUDDHISTS DO NOT HAVE A PERSONAL RELATIONSHIP. ISLAMISTS DO NOT HAVE A PERSONAL RELATIONSHIP. AND IF YOU JUST COME BACK TO LOOK, JESUS IS ALIVE TO ME. HE SPEAKS TO ME, AND HERE'S PROOF OF IT. I'VE BEEN HEALED. I'VE BEEN DELIVERED. GOD CHANGED MY MARRIAGE. GOD DID THIS. YOU AUTOMATICALLY HAVE THE HIGH GROUND. NONE OF THESE OTHER RELIGIONS HAVE A PERSONAL GOD, AS YOU WERE SAYING. THEY DON'T MEET ALLAH EVEN IN THE NEXT LIFE. AND SO IF YOU JUST KEEP IT SIMPLE AND TALK ABOUT, YOU KNOW, THE BIBLE SAYS WE ARE TO BE HIS WITNESS, AND THAT JUST MEANS THAT YOU TELL ABOUT WHAT'S HAPPENED TO YOU AND YOU TELL HIM ABOUT HOW GOD CHANGED YOUR LIFE, uh, THEY DON'T HAVE ANYTHING TO COMPARE WITH THAT. SO I WOULD KEEP IT REALLY, REALLY SIMPLE BECAUSE uh, IF YOU HAVE TO LEARN EVERYTHING ABOUT THE BUDDHIST, ABOUT THE HARI KRISHNA, HARI LAM, uh, MUSLIMS, IN ORDER TO BE ABLE TO MINISTER TO THEM, you'll never, YOU'LL NEVER LEARN ENOUGH. BUT, MAN, IF YOU JUST KNOW WHAT YOU'VE GOT AND ARTICULATE IT PROPERLY AND DEMONSTRATE IT IN YOUR LIFE, I THINK THAT THEY DON'T HAVE ANYTHING TO COMPARE WITH THAT. A PERSON WITH AN EXPERIENCE IS NEVER AT THE MERCY OF A PERSON WITH AN ARGUMENT. AND I THINK THAT THAT'S REALLY IMPORTANT. SO THANKS FOR YOUR CALL, FRANK. WE DO HAVE SOMEBODY ON THE LINE. WE'RE GOING TO TAKE A BRIEF BREAK, AND LINDA WILL BE RIGHT BACK AFTER THE BREAK. IF YOU WOULD LIKE TO CALL AT 719-619-2341, AND I TELL YOU, I WOULD LOVE TO TALK TO YOU. BILL IS JUST A GREAT RESOURCE. HE COULD HELP YOU A LOT. 719-619-2341. LET'S TAKE THIS BREAK, AND WE'LL BE RIGHT BACK. Are you in ministry and want to connect with other like-minded ministers? Andrew Womack founded the Association of Related Ministries International, or ARMY, to serve, equip, and empower you for success in your ministry through relationships, community, and resources. But just being a part of this, uh, being filled with the Word of God and with ARMY, fellowshipping, knowing that I have other ministers with me, it is awesome. We have met such precious people through Army. Uh, there's people I know I can call when I'm in a jam. Ministers have a safe place to come. We can unify and unite for the kingdom. As an Army member, some of the benefits you'll enjoy are Bible teaching correspondence courses, regional advocates for personal support and ministry, regional events for networking, one-on-one -on -one ministry and encouragement, our monthly newsletter, and more. You don't have to do ministry alone. Join this growing network of dynamic and elite ministers from across the U.S. and around the world today. Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I want to remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. 
So welcome back. You're on Truth and Liberty Live call-in show with Bill Federer and Andrew Womack. Man, we're glad to have you. And I tell you, Bill is just a blessing. The things that he knows from world history and how he applies it to our current situation, uh, you know, it just, it gives you a perspective. Sometimes people look at things and they think that this border issue is what we started talking about and other things. It's an isolated thing. It's independent from everything else, but it's a part of a puzzle. It's just a, a grand design by the devil to destroy our national identity that was founded on Christian principles, bringing in all of the people that have values that are completely contrary. You would be able to quote this exactly, but it was, I think it was uh, John Adams that said that uh, democracy is totally unfit for anybody but a moral and religious people. And so you bring in people that don't have morals or have morals that are like the Muslims that is lie, kill, do anything to advance Islam, and you're undermining our country. So whether the politicians know this or not, I think some of them know it, but many of them are just ignorant. Uh, but whatever, they are allowing this country to be diluted and destroyed through all of the stuff that's happening. So anyway, let's go to Linda in Michigan. You're on with Bill and Andrew. Hello, Linda. Thank you very much, uh, Andrew and um, Bill, for having this program. My question regards the United Nations and World Health Organization um, and how that fits into this whole uh, plan if you, uh, that is in being enacted or if you don't think it's part of it at all. Or I just would be interested in what your thoughts might be on that. Thank you. I'm sure Bill's got quite a bit to say about that. Yeah, World War II, uh, Franklin Roosevelt suggested the name United Nations for those that were fighting Hitler in Japan. And then after World War II, it was Harry S. Truman that pushed through the United Nations. Interesting trivia, our Continental Congress opened with prayer and a motion was made um, there was uh, Henry Cabot Lodge Jr. was the ambassador to the UN. A motion, he made a motion that the United Nations open with prayer, and they voted it down. I didn't know that, they, but I'm not surprised. And so there was no God. And so the idea was that they're Nuremberg trials, and they're trying to convict these Nazi officers for killing the Jews. And the Nazis were like, well, there, you know, there's no God and the law of the land is the highest law and social contract and French Revolution, all that. And, the, and so our law of the land is it's okay to kill Jews. And they were like, well, how can we find these guys guilty of killing the Jews when they were following the laws of their country that said it's okay to kill the Jews? And so they said, well, there has to be a higher law, but they didn't want to go to the creator so the, they said the higher law is what all the nations agree upon. And, it, and so Eleanor Roosevelt, she has her UN Declaration of Human Rights and everybody's equal and you can change religion and women are equal to men. And it, it sounds nice on paper, but then you have the um, Islamist countries with a lot of oil money and they form their own UN inside the UN, it's called the OIC, Organization of Islamic Cooperation, 57 Muslim countries, and they decide that they, what they all agree upon is that women are not equal to men, and that if you change religion, you get killed. And since they have lots of money and lots of wealth, they begin to pressure little countries to go along. And now you have 
the globalists. You have BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, all these asset management companies, billions of dollars, George Soros, all these countries, and they go to these little bitty countries. And they say, oh, uh, you want us to do business in your country? Uh, you're going to have to um, vote the way we want at the UN. And so what you say, well, what all the countries agree upon, well, now it's, it's malleable. It can be manipulated one way or the other if you're, if you're not going to say rights come from a creator. And so it's easier to manipulate the countries that are in the UN because they don't have God as a creator. They don't have a constitution like we do. And if we delegate authority to the UN, we are bypassing all of the safeguards that our country was put in with the Bill of Rights and all these kind of things. And it's, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, it's interesting. So the, you have the USSR and they have one vote. When the USSR breaks apart, all those little bitty uh, states within the USSR become their own countries and they all now have lots of votes. With that attitude, the United States, we should have 50 votes in the UN, right? We're United States. And, um, but to us to have one vote when, you know, Albania has one vote, it's like, you know, uh, so uh, it's, it's interesting when the British Empire ruled the world, they sort of thought they would always be sitting on the top of the pile. And you have Winston Churchill, and he takes the map of the Middle East, and he creates a country called Iraq, and puts Fazl, the, the son of the Sharif of Mecca, in his, and then he takes another map and takes two-thirds of what, he had, what the, the English had given to Israel, takes two-thirds of that away, creates an Arab state uh, called Jordan, and takes another son of the Sharif of Mecca, Abdullah, makes him king of Jordan. And, and it's sort of like, you know, we're in charge. We can redraw maps, we can do this, but, but now they're not in charge. America, when, you know, when the Roman Empire was in charge, oh, we can do anything. And then what's Italy today? It's, it's not in charge. Um, you, you, Spain, for, for in the 1500s, Spain was the biggest empire on the planet. And when they were sitting on top of the pile, they thought, oh, we're always going to be in charge. Well, Spain's what's Spain today. So it's almost like an athlete when he is the champ in his brain. He thinks, I'm always going to be the champ. It's like, no, you'll be the champ for a couple seasons, but then you'll get knocked off. And so you, you get into this idea, well, America's the most powerful nation in the world. It's like, yeah, but we're mentally, we still think we are. But we're showing when historically all the telltale signs of a nation about to collapse. Yeah, yeah. You know, I use the illustration that um, debt is fat to the body politic. So what's fat? It's uh, you ate what you shouldn't, and now you have to carry it around. It's not brain tissue. It's not muscle tissue. It doesn't add anything to your being, but you got to carry it around. I've heard that one pound of fat produces thousands of miles of veins that your heart has to pump through. Mm. It puts a great drain on you. Wow. That's something. And so we have the body politic, and debt is fat to the body politic. We got this debt that's trillions of dollars. It'll never get paid off. And, uh, and so you have the government come in, the, the, the patient's on the emergency room table, and he's 400 pounds, and his heart's barely beating. And the doctor says, you know what? I think you can handle another 100 pounds of fat. Let's just <laughs> add some more debt to it. And it's like, we're, we're a nation on life support. And... Um, uh, and so, again, uh, Israel, when they were under this crisis, uh, they would repent and God would send a deliverer and they would be delivered and renew their covenant with God again. And so the, the answer is repentance. Absolutely. 
Uh, Linda, let me just uh, expound maybe on something. I think that you might have mentioned this, but not only the UN, what we've talked about, but now they're wanting to give the World Health Organization the right to declare a pandemic and control what America does. And so we're, in a sense, yielding some of our sovereignty to these World Health Organization that aren't elected people. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, Michelle Bachman, who's the dean of the School of Government at, at Regent University, uh, she's been the, the one sounding the alarm on this. That real quietly, you have the World Health Organization that has some questionable connections with China, uh, wanting to get this authority so they can declare an international pandemic and then not just have suggestions for countries, but to actually have authority to lock people down. Um, and so this is a power Why grab. would anybody do that? Only if you have people in government that are um, bought out or they are Brain not very smart. <laughs> um, that, why would anybody want to give foreign people, especially just a few people, the right to control the world. And we experienced through the COVID thing that this uh, COVID deal, man, it shut down economies. It destroyed kids and school. It just was terrible. I don't know why they would want to do that. You know, I uh, wrote a book on socialism. It's called Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present. And uh, the subtitle is How the Deep State Capitalizes on Crises to Consolidate Control. So, uh, the most common form of government in world history is kings. It's a centralized form of government and with, run by a deep state. In a, but democracies and republics are attempts for people to rule themselves without a king. But what if, what if the king wants the power back? Does he just ask for it and say, uh, you know, like, give me control of your life? Make me dictator. And, and most people aren't in a hurry to give up control of their life. So there's two ways in which they can take power. One is fear. If they can get you into fear, you'll be willing to trade your freedom for security. And they want to do it on a individual level, on a national level, but on a global level. And so the uh, Klaus Schwab World Economic Forum said, if the past 500 years in Europe and America have taught us anything, it is that in times of acute crises, it boosts the power of the state. So they understand that acute crises are necessary. There's a quote from Henry Louis Mencken, he says, the urge to save humanity is almost always a false face for the urge to rule it. And so this, uh, and I even was watching a lecture by Peter Thiel, the founder of PayPal. And he's giving a Stanford lecture on liberalism in November 22. And he said, um, uh, the, the zeitgeist or the worldview of the people on the left is, we're not going to make it another century on this planet, so we need to immediately surrender all of our power to a totalitarian state. And he says, I don't know what the future holds, but we should never discount the dangers of a totalitarian world state. Absolutely. And then he quotes a scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, the motto of the Antichrist is peace and safety. And he says, you know, I think we should be more scared of the Antichrist and less scared of Armageddon. In other words, less scared of the world ending, less scared of global crises, less scared of all that, and be scared of the people that promised to save us from that. That's a good point. I like that. It's awesome. We still got some lines open, 719-619-2341. We only have 18 minutes left. So if you want to call, you need to do it quickly. So, man, we're talking about 
uh, globalism and all of these things. Where do you think America is? I was hearing a guy just last week saying that he doesn't think that the Antichrist is going to be able in seven years and especially three and a half years of that tribulation period to put all of these things in place. He thinks that all of the groundwork for the Antichrist will be laid before he comes on the scene and then he'll be able to capitalize on it. So I can't say that we've got the Antichrist in charge right now, but I can see that, man, we are laying the groundwork so that an Antichrist could come in and take over this world. What's your opinion? Yeah, to think that you can have a global satellite network where they can track you and then um, with the CBDC, central bank digital currencies, and they, so they, when you look at economics, it's, it is so financially irresponsible what we're doing that it can only be interpreted as intentional. And so if they tank the dollar, then if there is skyrocketing inflation, people are gonna do what? They're gonna to go to government and say, help. And the government's gonna be, well, we'll keep everything continuing. We're just gonna to transition to this digital currency, uh, central bank digital currency. And yeah, you know, we can keep it, you know, uh, no matter what it inflates to, we'll, in, we'll increase the spending power. So it'll all match up, uh, but there will be absolutely no savings. You won't be able to save anything and it'll be, and, and they want to make it so that you don't just have a credit check, but you have a DEI check, yeah. right? Uh, They're already doing that. You, you're, you're basically going to have a, a woke, uh, in the same way they'll cancel you from being on Facebook or Twitter or these other different things, uh, you're, they'll cancel your bank account like when Canada had a truckers um, protest yeah. and then the people that were involved in that, their bank accounts didn't work. And, and so, so again, people that know the Lord and know some history can see the trajectory. People that are in it, um, it's like it says in the last days that God will send strong delusion so they'll believe a lie so they love not the truth, you know, because they love not the truth. And, and so it's almost like a strong delusion. And, um, but I, I always come back to what are the stories we love? And it's where God's people are in hopeless situations and God raises up little nobodies with, who are small in their own eyes, but big in faith and courage to do great things. I mean, Pharaoh was the most powerful military leader on the planet. And here you have the Israelites are completely unarmed. And you got this 80-year-old Moses, and he's standing there with his staff. And then the, the waters come in and swallow up Pharaoh. And, and it even says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would chase them into the Red Sea. Yep. In other words, we're praying, oh, Lord, let it up a little bit. God's like, no, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make them come after yeah. you even worse because I want to show my glory and destroy them. Yeah. And then you have, you know, David with Goliath. And, and here you have, you know, 100,000 Midianites. That's a lot of people. And Gideon gets 30,000, so he's outnumbered like three to one. God said too many, whittles it down, tell everyone that's scared to go home. Now it's to 10,000, outnumbered 10 to one. God said still too many, whittles it to 300. God wanted to make the odds really, really bad. 33 to one. Yeah. <laughs> and so this idea is that um, as I think as we get closer to the end times, I think that Jesus says wheat and tares grow together till the harvest, but it's almost like this is the opportunity for us to be able to say, God, use us in this time. And, and so a uh, little preachy, but we're the bride of Christ and every romance novel builds up to a decision making moment of forsaking of all others and choosing the one. 
And I think God is pushing the world to a decision-making moment intentionally. And some people are going to choose the all others. And, uh, and then those, are, those of us are going to say, no, all we care about is the one, Jesus. But he's letting evil expose itself. It's like the Wizard of Oz and the little Toto dogs pulling back the curtain. And so this great Oz, you're seeing he's an old man behind a curtain. But God's pulling the curtain back. And you see Satan clubs on elementary school campuses. Mm -hmm. Satan worshiping Grammys. Satan statues at the Iowa State Capitol. Yeah. Satan trans clothes designers at Target. I mean, it's like, hello, Satan out of the closet. No more behind the curtain stuff. And then on the other side, people are going to be bolder for Jesus. And God's like, okay, we're wrapping up this romance novel. Uh, we, you need to make your decision. Uh, hurry up. We're gonna, God's going to make it really clear. A God devil. Choose. Yeah. Yep. You know, in uh, November 1989 is when the Berlin Wall came down and the Soviet Union began to dissolve. And everybody was saying, man, this is peace. Now the great evil is gone. And boy, I just knew the scripture said when they say peace, peace, there is no peace. And so I got to praying and saying, God, what's going to happen in my lifetime? I know that there's not going to be peace because the Soviet Union comes apart. And he told me in 1989 that in my lifetime that China would be as big or a greater threat than the Soviet Union ever was. And at that time, there was no reason to say that. But it's happening now. And this goes back to what you were saying about our debt. China is holding the majority of that debt. China is sending, you mentioned that earlier, Chinese in. They are buying up a lot of our land and stuff like that. And uh, people just seem to be oblivious to this. And Biden is pacifying the Chinese when he should be standing up to them. Uh, give us some context on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Trump stood up to him, and then they released uh, this, this virus. Um, pretty much everybody knows that it was a gain of function. Uh, so in the military, supposedly, they um, think for the sake of security, we need to anticipate what the enemy might do. And so the enemy might develop a virus. And so we need to develop the virus so that we can have an antidote ready. And so we had um, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and Ralph Barrick was the uh, scientists working on uh, gain-of-function research, and supposedly he was doing this crossover to make it so that it would spread really fast, um, and that's when there was funding uh, from the different organizations that Fauci was a part of, and when public attention was on this, like, what are you doing developing uh, COVID, right? The, oh, the whole operation was moved to China. Now, if the goal of... Uh, uh, this advanced research, gain-of-function research, is to protect us from an enemy. Why would they? Who could the potential enemy be? <laughs> well, I mean, Russia could be an enemy, but but China? It's like, isn't it on anybody's potential list? So why would you do the gain-of-function research in China with Chinese scientists if, if the goal was to develop it to protect us from China? It, it makes no sense unless they, you realize there's something nefarious going on here. Yeah. And. Um, and, you know, and you connect some of the dots that they had this crisis. There's an excuse for mail-in ballots. There's, an ex there's absolutely no way to, to secure mail-in ballots. So then they can uh, do a, a influence the election. And, I mean, there's lots of different things that are questions that, um, uh, but, but China does have ambitions. It's the oldest so. civilization, continuous civilization on the planet, 5,000 years. Goes back to the Yellow Emperor um, around 
uh, you know, 2,000, 2,500 BC. And, and so they've always been a dictatorship. So I think that the average person sees all of these things that are happening as isolated events and they're just coincidental and stuff. Would you think that this is orchestrated, whether it's one person that's doing it, I believe that it's at least the devil that is inspiring and coordinating this whole thing. Yeah, you, uh, at the very top, I think that the devil's there. I, I do think there are a circle of people that are sold out to him. Um, and that's where there's a lot of um, articles coming out of the um, uh, child sex trafficking and a lot of that evil. Down the line, I think you just have people that uh, are sold out to keep their jobs. Politicians want to get ahead and they said, okay, uh, I was recently talking to um, uh, someone in Ohio and a really good congressman is not seeking reelection. And he said that he would go to all the corporations that had given him money before. They said, we can't give to you because you don't support this trans agenda. And if we give money to you, then we're going to get in trouble and we're not going to be able to get money for our business. And so, sorry, no contributions. And so here you have a really good congressman. He's not able to run free election because he's not getting the donations because they've co-opted um, the financial sector. Um, so, so there, there are people that are evil at the top. There are those that are that know it's evil, uh, but there are those that that want to uh, keep their business going. And then you get into the government, and you have people that it's just I want to keep my job. Yeah. And that, that's what the guards at Auschwitz said. I just want to keep my job, even though I'm watching these Jews get killed. I, I'm just doing my job. Wasn't it Lenin that said that uh, you have to have some people that know what's going on, but then you need a whole bunch of useful idiots mm -hmm. to make it work? And, and then we got a lot of useful idiots. Let's go to Linda from Indiana. You're on Truth and Liberty with uh, Bill and Andrew. Hello, Linda. Hello. Uh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. All right. So my question is, what do you think about people who want to reduce the world population? What do you think about that thought? Uh, that's about as evil as it gets. Um, I, I do think that uh, the devil hates humanity because we're made in the image of God and he um, wants to kill off people that are made in the image of God because he hates God. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And um, uh, the bizarre, um, in the 1700s, you had Thomas Malthus and he was an economist and he came up with this theory that population would, it would increase geometrically and food supply would increase arithmetically. And so he said, at some point, you're gonna have more population than food. And it's uh, false because the evidence has shown that you get more innovation yeah. and you have the innovation of fertilizers made out of nitrogen. You get insecticides, you get hybrids that can produce a hundred times more. Um, you, you have, you know, I mean, they can take, you know, seaweed and turn it into food. There's more food if we just use creativity. Uh, but nevertheless, that concept uh, was bought into by globalists. Yeah. And, and so I just saw a quote from the, um, the real small atheist uh, guy who advises Klaus Schwab, Har Harari, I think is his name. I don't know. And he was doing a, a, 
a TV interview and he says, there's too many people. Why do we need all these people? Well, let's start with him. Let's eliminate him first. Yeah. I mean, it's like... <laughs> That's like Lincoln said that I believe all of those who believe in slavery, we ought to start with you and yeah. put you in slavery. So, so it's, it's evil. Um, it's, it's aborting the human race. So the same spirit that does abortion wants to abort the human race. You know, I actually heard Bill Gates say, I saw a video, uh, he was doing a TED talk, and he said that if we came up with a vaccine and planned it right, we could eliminate 15% of the human race through a vaccine. And I really believe that the Moderna vaccine that they use for, um, you know, COVID, I believe it's responsible for killing who knows. They aren't going to report it, so we may never know the true thing. But I think that this was planned. And Bill Gates, who was one of the great supporters of Pfizer, said that, that that was his goal, was to come up with a vaccine that it could eliminate 15% of the human race. And, and the vaccine program was actually part of the military. And so DARPA, which is the Advanced Weapons Research Arm of the military, was involved back working with these companies to take mRNA, messenger RNA, and to uh, use it and develop weapons with it. And so uh, more and more is coming out. Um, so it's, uh, but uh, I think that um, it's, it's, Jesus says wheat and tares grow together till the harvest, that you're gonna have evil and then you're gonna have people um, responding to it. And, and I think that the Lord wants us to do something uh, those that say, well, you know, come Lord Jesus, rescue me out of this mess, and you're just waiting and doing nothing. Um, the idea is, who do you think you're going to meet when you're raptured? Uh, Jesus. <laughs> do you think he cares about the children? Well, yeah. Do you think he might ask you why you didn't do anything to help protect these children from being mutilated, from being killed? It's not like you live in North Korea where you don't have a say, yeah. or in China or one of these totalitarian countries. In America, the citizens are the king. Yeah. And the politicians are your servants. So whether we can turn around or not, I think the good Lord wants to see us try. Yeah, we're responsible whether we win or not. We're going to answer for what we did. Let's see if we can squeeze Tim in before we run out of time here. Tim, you're from Wisconsin, and you're on with Bill and Andrew. Hi, Bill and Andrew. How are you doing this evening? We are blessed. Awesome. Well, my question is, um, what do you think about this convoy of truckers headed to Texas to the Eagle Pass border area? And is this legitimate? Is this a political stunt? Are they trying to draw conservatives in so they can make a fool out of them and make, make a January 6th kind of thing? What are your thoughts on that? I haven't even heard about this. Have you heard about it, Bill? Yes, yes, I've heard about it. Um, and I have the exact same concerns that you do. Um, I definitely support securing our borders. I support Abbott and the 25 or more yep. states that want to help secure the borders. Um, and I think that's noble. As far as the convoy, uh, I don't know who's really organizing it. Um, and it would be, I, again, I wrote a book on socialism. I wrote a book on the Cold War, uh, the the 70 years of uh, the process of taking over countries. And, and you would see these staged events, and, and then even if it's a good event, the idea of infiltrating it, yeah. um, 
so I don't know. Um, uh, so I do support Governor Abbott, and I do support securing our borders. Um, I, I pray for those that are involved, and I pray that they are able to take a stand. I do um, pray that the government is not trying to get all their uh, information to uh, expand their January 6th roundup. You know, I remember when the January 6th thing happened and Trump encouraged people to come. And even though I supported Trump, even though I believe that the election was stolen and stuff, when that happened, I said, you couldn't get me within 100 miles of there because of the Antifa infiltrating these uh, riots that they were having and stuff. I said, this is a recipe for disaster. And it's been proven that the FBI actually put people in there to incite the riot. And so I don't know about this uh, convoy to Texas, but I would be skeptical that this isn't something that they're trying to turn into another January 6th in advance of the elections. I've seen videos of Antifa people going into bushes and putting on Trump t-shirts and coming out yeah. and, and wanting to cause uh, riots yeah. and, and, and the, in Washington, D.C. in that event. So. I'm going to have to break in because we're just about out of time and we got CTN that carries this on their network and we have to finish right on time. But thank you, Bill, for being with us. What a blessing. Thank you for your call, Tim. And thank you for all that participated. Remember that we do this every weekday from 3.30 till 5 o'clock p.m. Mountain Time and we have on guests just like Bill and so many other people. We welcome you to call and also, I'd like to encourage you if, you, if you are being blessed by this and see the value of it, go to uh, truthandliberty.net slash donate. And we would encourage you to become a partner with us for a $5 or more per month automatic withdrawal. And that would really help us to continue this and all of the other things we're doing. So thank you again for joining us this evening. God bless you. And remember, we'll be doing this again tomorrow, our Truth and Liberty live call-in show. Good night. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.